Welcome to What The If. And I was slow on the music. And it's very loud. The adrenaline dump makes up for it. <laughs> so this is maybe the second time we're playing this live. And I have no way to control the volume. So I don't know about you. It's incredibly loud. I'll wait till it's done. What if it never finishes? It finished. Yes. Woo! Wow. Wow, what a rocking intro. Mm-hmm. That was quite a start. As is befitting us. I'm Philip Shane, a documentary filmmaker, and you, sir, are Matt Stanley, raconteur, a renaissance man. Uh, yes, uh, in fact, I am 500 years old. Yes. Um, <laughs> which uh, explains my gray hair and bushy beard. By the way, that, I don't know that you were intentionally doing that. That is a deep cut to one of my favorite comedy radio comedy routines of all time the hundred year old man no the oh, thousand year old man yeah boy i haven't thought about that in a long time mel brooks has a character like that so anyway t- taking our tour through vaudeville back to the present <laughs> you have some very special guests with us today for a very special topic who do you uh, have with you I in do. the studio in right live in, in person uh, yes yeah, right in stanley studios i have uh, my contribution to the human gene pool Whoa. Um, uh, my daughters, uh, Maya and Zoe, they can introduce themselves here. I, I'm, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Maya. And, uh, and, yeah, and what are some things we need to know about you? Uh, Maya and I are identical twins. We are 15 years old, so we're in ninth grade right now. Uh, um, yeah, just like. I go to a performing arts high school and Zoe goes to a, um, a smart people high school. So yeah, I, I go to the Wait. Bronx high school of science. So where, yeah, as a performing artist, I will just speak up for us for a little bit and say, we're also some of us, some performing artists, excuse me, are smart. Not all of them. Oh yeah. No, Maya's way smarter than I am. I'm not even no. going to deny that. Like she, she kills me in math. Just in math. <laughs> And so our topic, you you guys, uh, we we had you on some time ago uh, for an earlier show. Matt, do you remember the topic of that? Tell us about that. I do. That uh, that was when we used their particular expertise as um, monozygotic twins to explore the if, what the if, everyone on the world was a twin, um, essentially a clone. And I think we learned a lot about uh, about that. Yeah. yeah, I should say that we ran into a lot more interpretations of that question than I expected it to, than I expected to. So it was a very uh, informative and sort of branching out into weird topics. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, and so today's topic, tell us, what, what would you like to ask? What the if? What the if everyone spoke the same language? What the if everyone spoke the same language? And once again, I realized I've screwed up. This is our professional language. I've screwed up the opening themes and the theme that we play here. So the music is all backwards. Everything's crazy. Everything's crazy, sir. If only we had some kind of a unified system of communication to describe the thing. Describe the... Right. Exactly. Exactly. So what the if... 
there was only one language. Um, let's just jump. I'm going to jump right in to that scenario, and then we'll back up a little bit later and talk about how, you know, what's going on in the background of that. So let's say today's the day, and you guys wake up, and what's the world like in this world where everyone speaks the same language? Where do you encounter the first difference? Uh, well, I have Spanish class first period, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, I was going to say I have a free period now. <laughs> yeah, so I would just not go to Spanish class. You have Spanish class this morning. Yeah, no, I, I have Spanish class first period every morning. I'm usually half asleep during it. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, uh, I should say. Um, well, especially because you get to sleep through half of it. Yeah, yeah, that's... Do you, now, when you're in Spanish class, do you get extra credit if you dream in Spanish? See, I wish I did because that would make my life a lot easier. <laughs> if she has ways of telling what language I dream in, I don't know them. Right. Yeah, that would be a, that's a whole nother. Oh, there's a, let's write that down, Matt. That's a whole nother what the if. Do you guys uh, go walk ahead. in your dreams? My dreams are usually just images. Interesting. You don't have a narrator. I have a narrator and it's, yeah. uh, you know. I only uh, have dialogue in my dreams. Yeah, yeah I, I would say I have dialogue in the dreams that it, there's definitely words going on. Yeah. Are you generally a quiet person? Not really. I, I don't have an internal monologue either. So, like, my internal monologue is just thoughts. So I guess that wouldn't change very much if we all spoke the same language, because I... Or, or would it? Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's one of the things we're, we're thinking about here. Right? That's fascinating. Um, well, how would it affect I, your thoughts? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, one of the... But yeah, so so yeah, so everyone's got um, an extra period at school. That's nice because they don't have to study a different language anymore. Um, we've got a number of unemployed translators. Yeah, that's that would definitely be an issue. Um, I guess is anyone here actually bilingual? Do you speak more than one language? Um, I like many Americans. <laughs> I speak one language by far predominantly but through movies i speak fragments of other languages ever so little oh. and by growing up in in i don't mean through movies but like growing up i also took spanish class um and i have traveled a little bit and been to mexico and um places where i speak spanish so but yeah really not i i would definitely not say i speak other i also speak a little bit of hebrew because I grew up in it. my parents, we were Jewish, and they sent us to Hebrew school. Um, and then there's Yiddish. I hadn't even thought, you know, we're just, if you really think about it, like, at least I suppose if you grow up in America, but especially in New York, you're surrounded by lots of little, little pieces of like. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. yeah, I heard someone speaking, I think it was Mandarin or Cantonese the other day. I didn't even think about it, but I guess like in a small town, that would be just unheard of, right? Now, you just made an amazing distinction that I've never heard anyone do, which is you didn't say Chinese. You said Mandarin or Cantonese. Yes, I went to a middle school that had a predominantly Asian population, and the kids that spoke Mandarin spoke Mandarin, and the kids that spoke Cantonese spoke Cantonese, and they always distinguished between it as a language, so it's habit yeah. at this point. That's fascinating. I remember going to, to see movies. I love to go. Uh, Chinese cinema is extraordinary, right? And um, 
I remember the first time I went to go see, uh, in fact, there's, there's a huge theater down, I don't know if it's still around, but down on the Lower East Side that played Chinese movies all the time and um, movies from China. And they had subtitles. And I thought it was so funny. I was like, I'm watching a movie. It's, it's in Chinese, as I thought of it. And it had Chinese subtitles. But in fact, it was, you know, they actually put both. Actually, what they do is they put both Mandarin and Cantonese subtitles on there, even, even if the movie is obviously being spoken at one. Well, and this is, I think the Mandarin versus Cantonese distinction is, is helpful for framing the way we think about the question. Because I think when, when we first think about it, what if we all spoke the same language? We're thinking about, all right, well, what if the Norwegians could understand um, uh, the people from Indonesia, right? But mm -hmm. really, um, even more than distinctions, firm distinctions between totally different languages, we've got this enormous number of dialects and variations mm -hmm. on languages. So groups that can partially understand each other now, say Cantonese and Mandarin speakers, um, can suddenly understand each other perfectly. Right. So let's, let's continue with... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. And I, I was going to say, I speak, I speak English, um, but when I went to London, I didn't understand a lot of the words that people were saying. Even though they're the same language in a way that Cantonese and Mandarin aren't, like they're the same language. But I have a, one of my very closest friends is um, both of his parents are from Ireland and he says jumper. And I never know yeah, what he's right. talking about until I think about it for a minute. Yes. So would we have different words for the same things like jumper and sweater? So I would say in this scenario, yes. In fact, I think we might as well. It's, it's most interesting if we take it all the way. So we all speak. It, it, it's a great distinction. We've already learned something huge, right? It's not just that we speak the same in this scenario. Everybody speaks the same language, but they also speak the same dialect. And um, so already I can make one judgment, which I don't generally like to do, but be say life would be a little bit less interesting because <laughs> I love, I've worked with British people in the past and I've been there too, as well to the United Kingdom and I have some friends there and I love all those little little differences you know um uh, one pro tip by the way if you ever get to um right before the day before i started working for some british people happened to be some rather famous british people uh a, a friend told me who was british he said look i just have one tip for you you know there may be words they use that are a little different here's one thing is british people will use the word quite a lot they'll use it quite 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 and he said when you hear them say quite Know that it's an insult. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly right. Yeah. So the Brits, if they say, "Oh, this is quite good," what they actually mean is, "This it's is awful." Terrible. They would think, "Quite." Yeah. Isn't it good? Quite. Yes. Oh, they also think "sorry" a lot, and they don't really mean it. So, well, they do, and they don't. You know. But, but uh, anyway. Um, well, but I think that's again. This touches on something important too. Is that. Um, yeah, we think about languages and dialects as having different words, but sometimes they have the same word with a different meaning or use. Um, so, for instance, one of the official languages in India is English, but I am told by people who have visited there that the English that is used in India is really a different sort of thing. So I think we, we want to make it clear that this is our, our if here is different than that. Right. So. Um Probably here's how it works. One day, suddenly, everybody speaks the same language. So the, the thing from the past is 
gone. Okay. But but you are, I think you have to be aware of the differences for them to be. Right, yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, first off, I can understand everyone on the subway. Yes, I, I take the subway for uh, an hour uh, to school and an hour back from school every day. And I go from uh, the from Greenwich Village to the Upper Bronx. So I hear a lot of languages and I think it would be very interesting to just not hear a lot of languages to just understand everyone's conversations. First of all, for this scenario, are has everyone spoken the same language forever or is this like a new thing? That was, it's a new thing? Because history would be probably different. If- you know what? I'm going to, yeah, let me, let's, let's take an, this is how this is, these thought experiments evolve. And so we're going to take an eraser to the momentary version of the thought experiment where everything changed. And yeah, let me go back. It, it was more interesting to say that. So the entire world, let's start with Matt. The world has evolved now with one language. Um, how is the world different? Well, this is a tricky thing to to say but people have spent a, a lot of time thinking about this um and there was actually a a movement in the early 20th century um that uh, tried to make the case that if we all spoke the same languages you would have no wars and there would be no miscommunications and it would be this unifying thing um so has there's a person this- ever been to a family dinner <laughs> i mean i don't well, like a thanksgiving dinner i don't it does make you wonder right, <laughs> right. um so this is the, this is called universal language mo- movement um which was a really important thing um and many people tried to do the tried to they also wanted to make the language whatever this new language was um scientific and rational that has cut all of the crazy stuff that we have um uh, that makes it difficult to say, learn English. Um, is this what led to Esperanto? Well, and in fact, Esperanto is the product of the universal language movement. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with it, which I expect is virtually everyone these days, um, Esperanto is an artificial language um, made up of bits of lots of other languages um, with the intent of um, bringing about world peace, because then everyone would be able to uh, learn from each other easily and so it's supposed to be easy to learn and easy to understand um it has it it got very little traction and still has very little traction um however it is important to note that there uh, you can watch william shatner captain kirk what act in esperanto oh that explains all the <laughs> in, a, in a truly terrible movie i am told i don't speak esperanto so i can't understand it um, called Incubus from, I believe, the uh, early 60s. So, the, so if you want the, the whole movie is in Esperanto. Um, so should you want to hear Captain Kirk um, speaking the language of peace, uh, that's the place to go. Sort of just wow. out of curiosity, uh, I know that Mandarin doesn't really have conjugations and Spanish has like a thousand conjugations and Japanese doesn't have plural nouns and Spanish has like 16 different kinds of nouns. So where does Esperanto fall on that front? Oh, I have no idea. Um, we'd have to get, maybe we should have my friend uh, Michael Gordon on as a guest sometime. He's an expert in scientific languages and made up languages. Um, but this also raises another question is, is there a specific language that we all wake up speaking? That is, do we all wake up speaking Urdu tomorrow? 
Um, because some people, or is it a different language or is it some totally new thing? Uh, because many people make the case that how you, certain, certain languages are good at expressing different things and maybe even sort of shape the way you think about things. So depending on what language it is that we all end up speaking, that may have ramifications down the line as well. That's, I will say, it, speaking of just New York, one of the coolest things in New York, and I thought this even since I was a kid, was the fact that the United Nations is here and you can go visit the United Nations. And uh, I'm not sure if this is still the case, although I'm guessing it is. I remember when you go, I remember going to the United Nations and at the front door, the glass doors that open, you see it says open uh, in three languages. And the United Nations has three official languages, English, French, and Esperanto. And Esperanto is there on, you know, all the signs were in. Now, this is I'm thinking about like when I visited this in the 80s, probably as a kid before I lived here. But anyway, I, I wonder if that's, that's still the case. Be fun. I was, uh, as a kid, fascinated by the story of the Tower of Babel, as we called it, which I now call Babel because of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where you get the Babel fish. They pronounced it Babel oh, fish. Babel fish. Yes. Daddy showed me that video the other day. <laughs> Fantastic. So the bab what did what is the babble fish for those who don't know Hitchhiker's Guide? You you put it in your ear and you can understand all the languages. Right. The fish translates. Yeah. The fish translates everything. So I should say I'm not actually sure if Maya and Zoe know the story of the Tower of Babel. Would you mind giving us a, a quick oh. recap? So, oh boy, I could already see my Hebrew school teachers scowling at me because I'm not able to recall it perfectly. But I believe what it is, is all the people of the world spoke one language and they decided to build a tower that was the tallest tower in the world and maybe to reach heaven, right? And when they were doing this, uh, I don't know if I guess I suppose the story is that God was angry at this hubris and decided to punish the people by giving them all different languages. And now they could no longer communicate with each other. And so they had to give up building the tower, which, by the way, makes no sense because, I don't know, I mean, you could still keep, you could figure it out, you know, and someone forgot to point out to these people who wrote this story that the language of mathematics becomes the universal language which you could build things. But I just had to drop that in. Um, so, but that's the idea that suddenly there were all these people but whoever wrote that story, I think we can say this, whoever wrote that story and the people who heard it, you know, in, in its early days and when it was on primetime, uh, it had its premiere, could relate. You know, I think there was a feeling of like, oh, yeah, how did this chaos happen? Now, I, I have to, I, I think we have to acknowledge that we happen to be recording this at a time where there is uh, a lot of un, a civil unrest especially in New York, well, actually all over the country, all over the United States. And um, it involves uh, people not getting along, basically, because of differences, right? And language is not part of that in a strange way, right? It's not, in this particular case, it's in, the people who are doing the persecuting and the people who are the victims, whoever they consider themselves to be, all speak the same language. Yeah, but there are communication issues. So, for instance, our neighborhood um, has a lot of graffiti from the, the protests and the civil unrest over the last few days. Um, and as I walk around, I do not understand what a lot of that graffiti says. So I have my wife and I took a walk and we found ourselves Googling um, the various things that had been graffiti so we could understand what it was that 
people were upset about. Um, and that was an interesting moment because, as you say, if I had met one of these protesters face to face, presumably I would be able to communicate. We both speak New York English. Um, but the message that they felt was so important that they had to spray paint it on the side of the building, I did not understand, right? It takes extra work. Um, and I think there's something to be said about um, situations of social disruption, making it hard for groups to communicate even when uh, they nominally share the same language. And I mean, I think what you're saying is an important point. Like, I could never relate to anyone who's experienced something different than me i could i could try i could try and put myself in their shoes but there's no way that i could ever experience what they've experienced and um i mean we're built off of our experiences so we all would communicate differently and would feel differently and would hear differently like there are a lot of um things that I know, and there are a lot of things that, um, like slang that I'm familiar with and stuff that I'm familiar with that, like, probably even Zoe wouldn't know or that dad wouldn't know. And I think that, um, our experiences really do dictate how we communicate. So, would we all have the same experiences in this world? And if so, that would be interesting. Yeah. I think one thing that's interesting, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that yesterday um, mom put on music and Maya goes, Zoe, this is such a bop. We can vibe to this. And dad just had no idea what that meant because the general, the generational slang is just so different. I have never heard that. (laughs) I I know those words. I, again, I speak those words. In the last year, I have never felt so old as when Maya and Zoe will say something and I'll say, I know that's English, but I have no idea what you mean. Um, (laughs) And this is a real challenge. So for instance, a thing that gets said in our house a lot is I'm thriving. And the way I'm thriving is used. Who who says that? uh, This would be these two. Um, (laughs) When they say I'm thriving, it might mean everything's going really well and I'm happy about it. It might also mean everything is a disaster and I'm really upset about it. And it's this whole spectrum between the two. So Wait, now how how is it a disaster? What what would be uh, the context? It could be anything. I don't they want to give an example. You know, like if like maybe like I I, I drop a plate on the ground and then I'm like, oh, what is my life? And Maya goes, Zoe, you're okay. I'm like, no, Maya, I'm just I'm thriving. Like or, or, or I'll be like, oh my God, my teacher has scheduled a three-hour meeting and I am thriving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah another phrase like that is love that like um zoe will say oh i i got 12 pages of homework for my chemistry teacher i'll be like i love that for you <laughs> now yeah so this yeah. kind of thing is is very challenging for me and suddenly i feel like you know the 1950s sitcom dad <laughs> where i have no idea what's going on around me um, even though, I mean, we nominally share the same language, right? Again, I recognize all of the words, um, but they do, but they are, they are information free for me, right? When they say I'm thriving, I actually don't know anything more about their situation than I did before they said that. I remember when, when, when we were growing up, uh, um, I remember one of the things that I got to use and I can see there's a relish in knowing that your parents don't get it. That's mm-hmm. part of the fun. So I remember one of the things was that what totally confused my parents was bad because bad, oh, right. became good yeah. became bad. So, you know, the, hence the Michael Jackson album, bad. And um, 
you know, we'd say, I'd say, that's bad. And they go, why don't you like it? No, dad, bad means good, man. It's like sick, right? It's like sick. Yeah. It doesn't suck, you know? Yeah. And I try to, so whenever I have one of these moments, I try to remind myself. Um, But along these lines, I should say, so uh, other languages have, um, let's see here, much more ambiguity built in. So for instance, uh, the, the, the moment when I realized I couldn't study any more Japanese was when I learned, when I learned about this phrase they have, so desu ne, which l- literally means something like, that's the way it is. Um, but it's used like I'm thriving um, in the sense that it can mean everything from, yes, I completely agree with what you just said, to no, I don't think that's right at all. And you're just supposed to be able to infer from context uh, what they mean. And I couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't do that. And it, because particularly Japan is a politeness-obsessed society. So having a phrase that lets you disagree without actually disagreeing is really important. Um, and I couldn't do it. I just did not seem to be able to process those things, right? That's right. I can see. Yeah. And in fact, it, it, uh, United Kingdom, uh, Britain is, is Great Britain is the same way, where there's a lot, a lot of these words we were talking about at the beginning there. It's about politeness. So what we've what this reveals, of course, is the importance of tone and that we speak with not just the words and things like that. So I think what this boils down to is, Matt, I think that what we're looking at is a world where the human brain is more akin to a computer. For instance, I was thinking about computer languages. Computer languages don't have irony. They don't have the tone is there is no tone. If there's a tone, you've probably written it wrong. <laughs> Like as you write, you know, go to in basic, you know, go to one hundred. Well, like, I mean, yeah, was, go to one hundred, dude. Yeah, this brings, <laughs> but this brings us back to the 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 scientific language question, right? Can you strip a language down to pure statements of fact or description? Um, and this touches on really deep issues um, within linguistics. And the question is: this is the this is Chomsky's universal grammar theory. So Chomsky and some um, and some linguists make the case that our brains come with a built-in grammatical structure that all languages follow to some degree. And if that's the case, then you could conceive of a genuinely universal language that really fit our brains just right, right? The pre-babble language. Um, That would allow for perfect communication. But other linguists say, no, it's a mess. Every language is different. Our brains just come up with all kinds of crazy systems, um, in which case it would be really hard to imagine a universal language. Yeah, that's interesting. On the topic of scientific language, um, I'm learning chemistry this year, which is a completely different thing than anything that I've ever studied. If you had given me a chemical equation at the beginning of the year and said, is this a redox reaction? I would have been like, what does that even mean? And I should say that it it has, I feel like, just as many rules as linguistics, but for some reason that's easier for my brain to process in the same way that algebra is way easier for my brain to process than, say, Spanish. I don't know if that's just my brain. But I mean, I should say that Maya and I are almost complete opposites in that way in that I am really good at Spanish. I mean, I skipped a grade in terms of- You mean you speak Spanish well? Yes, I speak it- (laughs) Not to correct you, our English grammar. Yeah, yeah. I am, I am, I say good all the time. I cannot speak. No, but uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> Mine is really good at math and science, and I am taking geometry and chemistry this year, like Maya. And in geometry, we have to do lots of mathematical proofs. That's how my teacher teaches, and I think it's a great way to teach. But you have to memorize all these theorems, and they mean something different, and you can translate them into English, but when it comes down to it, the way that you're proving it is you're drawing diagrams and you're writing numbers, and that's just, it's a different language, and we don't, we take that for granted. We say, no, 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 it's the same language, because when I, when I write it down, I'm writing down modus tollens, which it's a, it's a word in Latin or Greek, but like it's English, and it, I mean, and so we say that it's a language, but in reality, I've had so many teachers from like biology to chemistry to geometry to algebra tell me that math and science are their own languages and that I just have to learn them. And for some reason, that's just fundamentally more difficult for me than learning Spanish. But I, I would say that those teachers are speaking metaphorically or to the extent they think they're not there. I mean, it's there's jargon and then there's language. I yeah, mean, that's right. But for instance, you know, scientists like Carl Sagan do talk about universe math as a universal language in a literal way. Sure. No, ma math way. Yeah. math itself, I would say, could be different. Could be different. But um, uh, so anyway, I think what this points is, it is it possible to imagine a world of six, seven billion people who all speak the same language and I want to make clear, clear too, also another source specificity of this thought experiment is that we're not talking about, and it's interesting it didn't even come up as, an, as a potential, we're not talking about the fact that, well, everybody might speak, there might be one language that everybody speaks, you know, uh, uh, English and French and probably Chinese. There are certain languages which are getting so big, they're becoming a little bit more universal. Um, but... Uh, we're talking about is everyone speaks one language and there is only one language existing, which is amazing, right? So that means the structure of the, of the brains of these humans is not human. I mean, it, it seems to be the... Well, I mean, it depends where you are in the, the Chomskyan linguistic camp for that. Uh, but I think one of the interesting things to, to ponder here is that I suspect that state of things where 7 billion people all spoke the same language would last about two hours. That's what I, that, that's what I mean. That, yeah, you'd get because you'd get two teenagers in a room together um, who would start coming right. up with new slang instantly. Yeah. Well, in fact, when you were talking about the graffiti, I was going to say that the fact that you couldn't understand it is a little bit part of the the game, or or even not call it a game. The 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 inherent the intent of the people leaving the graffiti might be to speak to each other, or you know, in, in a particular way. Um, because like they part of graffiti is they want you to know that it was this unique person or this unique group that did this particular statement on the wall. Um, so yeah, that's what I mean is that the temptation, like you, you mentioned even Chomsky, it's like this is a world in which the temptation is not able to be taken up to do anything different. There, this would be a seriously limited um, structure. What, I, I imagine that's almost. Well, I mean, it was, yeah. if you wanted it, if you wanted it to last, you would need yeah. to set up something that the French, for instance, have as uh, a central language bureau that regulates what words are allowed yeah. to be used in the language. And right. to if you when you say that to Americans, that seems totally inconceivable. Like what? But it is yeah. the case that in France, there is a group of people who sit around and say, "No, we can't use the word hot dog." And then that word is forbidden. Okay. 
Like, but that, that word, that word in particular, shouldn't be used in French because in French it's odo. <laughs> odo, because there's no age and there's no, yeah. It's all it's so it's so silent. All you're left with is the O and the D and the O. Um, that, but French. but I think what we're talking about with this experiment is that this is the thing that the human race evolved to still be the only language speaking, like you know. Uh, as we understand language, so the animals don't speak it. But it was only one language. No other one could come about. And so here's something quite fascinating about that, actually, is um, to use, actually, Hebrew as an interesting example, because I happen to be working on a documentary now about uh, a rabbi, a very, very liberal, colorful rabbi. Um, but so I'm learning a lot about Jewish history that I didn't even learn growing up. And, you know, Hebrew is a language that's it's uh, among the most oldest languages in the world. And so uh, it is consistent over a very long... In other words, it, this is what's fascinating, that the language could still evolve. But if it was limited to one language, it means that the early people... There are going to be things in it that go all the way back to the beginning. Or in other words, just like the genetic code, you could trace it back to certain things, right? Which with, even in dictionaries today, like the Oxford English Dictionary, will go to great lengths to look at the etymology. But um, here's a question then. As you're, oh, so you're growing, you're in school. So Matt, you're a teacher and uh, Maya and Zoe, you're in school. And the question becomes, as people are being taught the language, is it, um, Easy, harder. I don't. You know, I mean, what? What's the experience like? So, I, what I want to want to get into is, and Matt, maybe you can understand this a little better. Um, I want to be in the mindset of this creature that in which only one language is possible. Well, well, let's say that we only have this one language. I go to. So I have English class and I speak English, but it, it doesn't teach me that language. It teaches me literature. So, but would we have this separate class to tell us this is the language that you speak? Because like the SAT tests you on grammar and I haven't taken a class in grammar since I was in third grade. I mean, one of the things is I, I've spoken English since I was like zero basically i that's what i grew up speaking i can speak it fluently um i've been studying spanish for about 9 months and i probably know more about the mechanics of spanish yeah. than english so would we have yeah. learned this universal language in a way that i'm learning spanish now that takes a certain amount of comprehension and a certain amount of education to actually learn because if you had said Maya, conjugate this verb in Spanish in the present tense when I was in like second grade, I would have no idea what you're talking about. So this is requiring an intellectual height that just learning a language as a child, you're not able to comprehend. So would you be learning a language? I think Maya's point is a really important one, is that the, the fact that there's a variety of languages makes us think about the nature of language and the nature of communication in a particular way, right? The, the reason the field of linguistics exists is because of the variety. So if everyone spoke exactly the same language in exactly the same way, then you don't have those variations that make it 
uh, they give you traction to study, right? So I think our understanding of the nature of language would be really shallow. Wow. And it definitely causes, like, e even in, in terms of evolution, having all these differences causes an enormous amount of uh, pressure, which has led to a lot of productivity uh, among all the different cultures. Um, so here's, here's the question. What happens with these creatures uh, when someone tries to use a different word? So now this gets a little bit back to the, 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 um, the governmental thing you were talking about in France, where they try to keep this, they try to have an official group decide. Um, I think in pushing this experiment really far to the limit, uh, towards a limit anyway, um, it's interesting to imagine that it's not, it doesn't require any sort of official group to say, nope, don't make those sounds. But just that for some reason, sounds outside the language don't work. So how is that even possible, Matt? Like, but basically, what we're talking about here is, or actually, let me ask you guys. You would not be able to, uh, what would be happening in your brain? What, in what kind of, what would it feel like to not be, to, if you made other sounds that were completely unintelligible? A wrinkle in time kind of vibe. Like, uh -huh. you know that yeah. one scene where they're all bouncing the ball at the same time, and if they're... If they don't bounce the ball at the same time, they all go to the correction center or whatever. This is giving me the kind of question of like, are we all sharing one mind? Because there's re other than that, there's really no way to have everyone speak the same language. The single mind thing is a real uh, important aspect that you've discovered because that is the only way I can imagine this actual scenario existing, right? You because you have to be able to understand in intent and the prob the the bonus of language but also the problem with language is as you guys were talking about parent and children is that intent is so it's the hardest thing to convey yeah what were you gonna say oh i was just thinking about the hive mind thing like would we yeah. be like bees or would we be like would we all have the exact same thoughts because like bees have a hive mind to the extent that they all um I I haven't studied bees, but the, to the extent that I understand it is that like they all work towards a, a singular purpose and that's just how they develop? Or would we literally all have the same brain and the same thoughts? Um, this, you know, inevitably takes us to George Orwell's novel, 1984, in which the, the central foundation of that totalitarian state was their control of language. Remember, the, uh, the, yeah. the protagonist's job um, was going through and removing words, right? They call them unwords. And oh. the, the idea behind it was that if Big Brother could control what words you could use, then Big Brother could control what you would think. Because if you didn't have a word to express a concept like individual freedom, then it would vanish. Right? Um, and this is, a, I think, a, an important feature of the book that often gets kind of dropped. People think about the surveillance part, but it's also uh -huh. an accurate right. thing um, that by controlling the, the way words are used, um, you can control what people are able to express. Yeah. And again, the idea of the single mind, whether it's hive mind or unimind, I suppose, um, like the Borg or something, is, um, although is the Borg, is the Borg hive mind or unitary? It's like a hive mind. They're, they're individual. Past the 
part about yeah, when the that. huge spaceship controlled everything. Yeah. Uh, that, that freaked scary. me out. That freaked <laughs> me out. I gotta admit. But but um the idea is that one language means one language is represents a way of thinking and uh or thoughts. And so the only way to have truly one language that is always understood um and any um any changes to the language have to be we almost have to propagate instantly throughout the group otherwise in other words it, this is another thing too it's, it's how fast the differences propagate through the group right like um if we're talking about the society and if seven billion people speak different languages just like you said matt in two hours you know somebody's going to start talking a little bit differently to somebody else um suddenly we at some point in that ripple we are no longer a world of one language so the only way we can continually call it one language is if it updates are instantly uh passed everyone's instantly updating uh like your iphone if you said it that way <laughs> um so how does this gets us right to being twins fascinating actually this takes the twin you know what's interesting is it takes us back to being twins but goes much further in in our in your twins hypothesis um where everybody was a twin it was more like the hive mind but you didn't but it was very benign you didn't require any control over the different the way people thought but here we are getting to one mind so how does that feel now now you wake up and you begin your day and all of us share a single mind do we share a single mind or do we all have access to each other's minds do i have thoughts of my own no we share we share a single mind <laughs> is it terrifying? What if it was a smart? You don't have to learn anything. Yeah, because you, you already know everything. Knowledge is just completely widespread worldwide. Everywhere. Teachers are out of work. It's not a good scenario. Everyone has that. the same IQ. That's terrifying. There's, so what's here? Here, what's okay? So now, tell paint the experience. So you're going about your day, and what's terrifying about this? What is your mental experience now? Well, uh, I, in my life, I have run into people with different thoughts, opinions, and if I ever had some of those opinions, I would be a horrible person, maybe? I mean, I don't know if I would be a, a horrible person, but there are definitely some thoughts and opinions that I just fundamentally don't share, and that that would just be just like like would i actually share those opinions or would i just have access to the the thoughts and the motivations and reasoning behind all of those opinions would we have opinions at all or would we just have different outlooks on society that no one actually has but we know exist there wouldn't be anyone else is there a philosophy that has dealt with this question are we all a single mind uh well yes and whether language would be a conduit to that shared thinking um, and the answer is, yeah, a lot of people sure hope so um, and have tried to make that happen through powerful tools like Esperanto and William Shatner's acting ability. But, um, but I should say so far, those attempts have failed. Right. But it might just be I don't know if that's because there's a lot of human history to overcome uh, and sort of cultural inertia. So it might still be possible, um, but we haven't figured out how to do it yet. Right. And it may take that may take us back to the quantum entanglement. Where brains are quantum entangled. Yeah, that's right. Uh, is in our earlier episode. So, you guys, thank you. This has been like an incredibly mind 
expanding or shrinking uh, mind shrinking episode uh, uh, experience. Thought experiment. This was a lot of fun. Yes, it was. You guys are brilliant insights. And do you have anything you'd like to plug? Oh, no. <laughs> no, nothing. What you- um, sorry, I actually do a thing at the American Museum of Natural History. Museums are really not doing good right now. So, and huh? also, the so National- plug it. Tell it. So, what would you like people to do? Uh, I th- I don't know the protocol, but if anyone could go and like see what we can do for museums, because museums aren't only just places to show people things; they're also research institutions. Which yeah. Is so this is the Museum of Natural History, which I should say yeah. has lots of virtual exhibits you can go visit. Today, uh, so even if you're still quarantined, you can go to the Met and you can go to the Museum of Natural History uh, and see their exhibits. And if you gave them a little donation while you did that, uh, that might be nice. Yeah, that's been, and I know a lot of our fans are fans of also of Neil uh, deGrasse Tyson, and he is the head of the planetarium there, Hayden Planetarium. So, good recommendation. Met him, but we do have a new show in the planetarium that just came. Uh, I don't know how new it is. Getting older every day. Yes. Aren't we all? <laughs> chip in, chip in. Maya, would you like to, who would you like to plug or to support? Uh, a lot of artists are so, a lot of We don't, like, we don't have the donations, we don't have the budget that, like, the American Museum of Natural History. Not that you guys aren't struggling, but yeah, just support artists because art is beautiful. And artists, artists, honestly, like, like, if we had a single mind, we wouldn't have art because art, it comes from like who you are and it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And art is one of those attempts to use things beyond language. Okay, yeah. So we'll put up some links where um, people can help um, the artists and museums who are having trouble in these times. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, thank you all. Thank you all. Uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, if you haven't already, please leave us a review. Speaking of support, support this science outreach program called What the If um, by leaving us a review uh, and rating us, uh, clicking some stars and throwing in a few words if you want uh, on whatever podcast app you are using, whether it's Apple Music, or Overcast, or Spotify, or anything, whatever it is. Uh, also, write to us. Tell us what you're doing, what you, how are you doing in the world, how are you feeling, and how, what, what thoughts came to mind from this show? How were you provoked? to knowledge or to inquire um email us anything uh feedback at what if.com and you can find us also on twitter you can reach out to us there follow us at what the if show and now do, uh, do you guys remember our ritual yes okay here we go what? What? What?